to be joined this morning by Bruce Melman, founding partner uh, at Melman Castanetti Roseman Thomas, and our colleague Steve Haro, former Chief of Staff to Senator Dianne Feinstein, former Assistant Secretary of Commerce in the Obama administration, and a native Californian. Bruce and Steve, welcome. Thank, Thank you, you, James. I wanted to talk this morning about the impact of of the coronavirus uh, crisis on the technology industry. Maybe uh, if past is prologue, Bruce, I'll throw the first question to you. It's uh, let's let's go back to before the crisis started. What were the major trends tech companies were watching before this pandemic hit? You know, you're right. It, it's important to uh, to start with where we were before everything got crazy. I saw three macro trends that were most relevant to tech. Uh, number one the so-called fourth industrial revolution, epitomized by what Mark Andreessen described as software was eating the world. Everything was digitized, everything was networked, everything was mobile and increasingly social was dominating. We were seeing the substitution of software for hardware, of frequently open source for proprietary. Uh, these were major trends and you saw with great innovators like Lyft, their ability to, to upend industries. Number two, we saw a uh, broad reduction of trust in national governments, uh, which people increasingly felt like weren't solving their problems. Inequality was getting worse. Folks found it uh, harder to, to, uh, to get the education affordably they needed to deal with things like automated automation trends. That loss of trust had led to reduced belief in globalization, deglobalization, had, had led to people picking populists, and had led to state and local governments deciding they weren't going to wait around on Washington before they tried to protect their consumers or otherwise uh, weigh in on things that historically had been federal issues. Number three, we'd seen a tech lash. The, when I started in this area, the, the policy of the United States was what's good for the internet is good for America. That had clearly ended by 2017, 2018, 2019. You know, the broad concerns about big and global and elite all found big global elite tech companies that were increasingly dominant in the economy. Uh, and we started to see concerns about them having too much market power, insufficient consumer protections, worries about platforms being rife with bad actors or biased in how they did censorship, and even uh, broadly undermining the social compact. And so all of these issues have been exacerbated uh, since the crisis. Uh, technology is uh, our, our use of technology is, is an increasingly important factor uh, in how the crisis is responded to and how uh, how Americans deal with uh, the, the social isolation of being quarantined. So, Steve, where uh, where does this leave us uh, heading into the middle of 2020 for the technology industry? I think this leaves us confused, Dean. Uh, you know, all the things that all the things that Bruce described in terms of where we were prior to to COVID-19. You know, software, technology companies growing and whatnot. All of that required a lot of data. I think. Got the concern of many uh, legislators, both in Washington and around the country, was that this data was being used to infringe upon folks' privacy. And so, a, a very genuine, uh, serious privacy debate has been going on for the last couple of years. You know, in the wake of the, the Facebook Cambridge Analytica revelations, and then I think COVID-19 has kind of turned that on its head a little bit because you know we find ourselves now more dependent on technology and, and some of the platforms that come with it than ever. And then we're also finding that in order to figure out ways to reopen up economies around the world, we're going to need information and data in order to do that. 
And so I think we're left very confused now in terms of where we move forward. Yes, there's a lot of privacy implications, but, you know, are we willing to, as, as individuals, are we willing to opt in to giving information about our health in order to provide healthy outcomes for others, but also reopen up our economy? I, I, I think so, but yet there's still a lot of questions that are going to be brought up over the course of the next six weeks, six months, six years as a result of this. Yeah, it yeah. goes uh, it goes right to a, a lot of the, the the worst fears, the fever dreams of privacy advocates in terms of digital surveillance, uh, contact tracing. Where have you been? And you look at the countries that have, at least from an epidemiological standpoint, seem to have gotten a handle on this, and they've used technology to do it. Korea, China, Taiwan, Israel, uh, using location data to, to, to trace contact and quarantine not only folks that are infected, but the folks that they've come into contact with. But those are not countries that have a traditional American or Western European standard of privacy. No, you're absolutely right. And then you look at some some EU countries like France and Germany who are now struggling with you know that th- those are those are champions of of consumer privacy protections right i mean they've been at the vanguard of this for years and and now as they as they look to you know contain their own covid-19 pandemic they're they're talking about you know what sacrifices do we have to make as a country in order to tamp this down and so, you know, France, France is looking at, you know, uh, opt in tracking uh, apps in order to to do this as well. We we as a United States. I mean, look at what look at what Google and Apple are partnering up on. It's a lot of questions come into play. Dean. Although if I can uh, if I can pile on that, Dean, you're, of course, right. It, it does still play into the pre-existing trend that we saw where regionalism was replacing globalism and Internet policy was observing a splinter net. And at its core, it was because the goal of Internet policy was different in three regions. The goal in the EU was to protect people. The goal in the U.S. has been to empower people. And the goal in China was to control people. So that led the EU to have heavy regulation. They protected older industries and uh, and they were seeking uh, some middle ground uh, on uh, on on free speech. With the U.S., we were very light regulation and it allowed disruptors to dominate. But we saw permissionless politics that empowered new voices. In China, the state dictated the rules. Uh, national champions dominated, and through things such as social credit scores, this was a uh, surveillance, uh, a, a powerful surveillance tool for authoritarian regime. Well, you touched on the the splinter net, the decoupling uh, of Eastern and Western uh, sort of internets, and specific to China. Doesn't this doesn't this really accelerate? The decoupling from China, and, and I'm thinking here uh, not only in terms of the internet that we all use, but the supply chains. We saw Japan announce a retrenchment from uh, dependence on China, and really highlighted by a number of medical supplies that are manufactured in China. Doesn't this just increase the paranoia of having so much of our tech and other supply chain? in China. Uh, It absolutely does. The decoupling of U.S. and China, which was the premier feature of deglobalization, is absolutely going to accelerate. Uh, The United States is going to blame China uh, in part because China owns a lot of this, whether whether it was uh, a wet market, which was which was self-dangerous, or whether it was a research experiment that escaped from a lab. Uh, either way, virus began over there. Uh, there were efforts to uh, to cover up the nature of how bad it was and how transmissible it was, all of which let, left the world meaningfully behind. You throw that, overlay that into what already was intense 
concern about U.S. dependence, particularly in tech, where China, through its 2025 plan, had made it crystal clear they seek to dominate the industries of the future. 5G being the ultimate example, we were already seeing uh, supply chain diversification. We were seeing a lot of U.S. companies starting to look to other other countries. And we were seeing uh, a growing in 5G spheres of influence world where you either could be part of the China Huawei approach or you could be part of a Western approach that we was we hadn't fully defined yet. You now would throw in active ingredients in pharmaceuticals. You throw in personal protective gear. You throw in ventilators. Uh, we've seen on things that we are uh, over-reliant on one country on a challenge when uh, when there's a crisis and the entire world is looking for the same gear, which can't go everywhere at the same time. And uh, there's clearly going to be a rethinking of supply chains broadly from the core prior goal of efficiency to the new goal of resilience and self-sufficiency. Yeah, I would just add, I definitely think that this increases the paranoia, especially in, in light of the fact that we are in an election year, bashing on China makes for good politics. And for all the reasons that, that Bruce just laid out in terms of uh, the provenance of, of COVID-19 being being in China, the complicated thing here is that changing changing supply chains is expensive. And and Bruce is right. This has been in the works for a while prior to COVID-19. And I think this this will speed up that process. That will speed up discussions in the C-suite about about hardening um, our resilience and and having a diverse diverse supply chain. Problem is is that the cost to do it is going to be substantial. And we don't know what this economic downturn, how long it's going to sustain and will companies have the money in order to do this properly. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's going to be harder. It, it's going to be harder to do than just saying, you know what, we got to get out of China. Well, looking at, we, we do have a, uh, we do have a fertile technology industry here in the United States. It's been a key to getting through this crisis. And I'm wondering, Steve, how you think uh, we've performed from, from teleconferencing technologies to telehealth to telelearning, there's uh, there's just been an, an enormous reliance on these technologies to to mitigate the impacts of the crisis. I'll say, I, you know, I I always thought of uh, Skype and FaceTime and Zoom as a sort of interesting piece of technology when you wanted to look at someone and talk at the same time. And over the last over the last month, found myself just reliant on these to not only uh, do our work but to stay in contact with people. So how, how do you think the tech sector has performed and, uh, and and what does it mean going forward? Look, I think the tech sector has performed very, very well. Uh, you know, FaceTime is a fantastic tool that I've been able to utilize for years to make sure that my kids, uh, you know, here on the East Coast can talk to their grandparents on the West Coast. And now I live on Zoom and I am dependent upon it in order to do the job that I have to do every day. And I, and I, and I love it. And I've been very, very pleased with the technology capabilities that have allowed folks like me and others to, to continue uh, uh, working in service to, to the folks that we represent. Uh, at, at top of which, you see other companies stepping up. You know, we already referenced Apple and Google in terms of their, their efforts on, on tracking and tracing. You have a company in, in Northern California, Verily, who uh, they are running testing sites in California, and they, they have a system set up where they can screen folks, and you can find out if you're a viable, uh, if you're a viable candidate to go get a test, and then you can go do a drive-up test, and then you have your results within two to three days. And then that, that information is being shared with the, the California uh, health inspectors to, to flatten the curve. Then you have companies like 
Instacart and Walmart who are, are helping flatten the curve by getting groceries to people and, and contactless delivery and keeping them out of the stores to, to minimize exposure. So tech has really stepped up here uh, in, and we've all become very reliant. I mean, we're already reliant on this prior prior to this going into it, but I think a lot of us and a lot of Americans have become really reliant on technology uh, over the course of the last six weeks and are appreciative of it. And I do think when when the final analysis is written on this, we will find, yes, there are problems. Yes, there are questions. Yes, there are policies we have to deal with. But in the end, we are better as a country, as a world, for the technology being put in place to help than than uh, than not. You have to wonder if uh, if Americans would have tolerated this uh, quarantine situation for as long as we have without without that technology, uh, the the technologies you just ticked off, Steve. So, Bruce, this is uh, th- this is an this is an embrace of the tech sector. All is good, and the and the tech lash uh, goes away. Uh, not quite. Uh, I certainly think it's on pause because, as Steve correctly pointed out. Uh, the U.S. tech sector are the heroes of this story. They're keeping us working. They're keeping kids in school. Uh, they were the first businesses around the country before any government said you really should stay home. They said, hey, we really should stay home. And that's why, in part, you saw in California uh, so few, so many fewer cases and so many fewer deaths than, say, in New York, uh, where you didn't have that similar leadership. But the challenges that gave rise to the tech lash, too much market power. Well, does anybody think Amazon and Google's market power is going down over the course of this year? It's not. It's going up. Uh, and they'll want to revisit the implications of that for uh, for an economy as we try to uh, grow and, and uh, innovate and see entrepreneurs help us get out of this. And likewise, Steve did a great job. He is the smartest guy on privacy I know talking about uh, the privacy considerations. And I think in the short term, Presented with the old question, your money or your your money or your life, but in a new spin, your data or your life. Right now, people are going to say, "Okay, my data," uh, but not if it goes to the government. And they're going to want to make sure it's opt-in, and they're going to want a lot of qualifications. So, the fact that more people will be working from home, more technology will be that much embedded deeper in our society, means concerns about consumer protections will surely return. The platforms have done a great job working really hard to keep misinformation on COVID out. It's hard because, you know, humans, 3% of humans are horrible, and the 3% who are horrible are putting horrible information out and leveraging this crisis for their own uh, ill gains. But the platforms are doing a pretty good job. When this is over, the question will be, can you apply that same censorship to other dangerous speech, or uh, are you censoring too much when it comes to political content? Uh, and, and and even on the social compact, that's the great hope for tech, because I think tech was seen as drivers of inequality previously. Well, we know there's going to be more automation as a result of this. The fourth industrial revolution is going to accelerate as a result of this. But you're seeing tech companies trying to step up, lift leaps to mind, uh, as folks who are being real thought leaders on how to reinvent and reimagine safety nets to make them more inclusive and more effective in the 21st century. And for tech, the key to surviving the tech lash, I mean, there are a few, the Amazons, the Googles, who their problem is probably just too dominant. But for the rest, they have a real opportunity to continue being part of the solution as the solution moves from survival to recovery to reform. Well, I look, I, and I'm, Steve, I'm really curious about your thoughts on this because I see whatever's going to, th- this crisis with the current COVID-19 is going to be resolved in some form or fashion, but 
this is going to happen again. I think we all understand that. And I, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of tolerance for just shutting down the entire country for weeks and months on end while we wait out the virus. So what do you think that means in terms of how, whether that's the Fourth Amendment or how Americans re-understand our right to privacy when, when almost every man, woman, and child has a supercomputer with geolocation technology in their hip pocket? Yep. No, it's a fair question. And it's, it's, a, it's a discussion that's, that's worth having. There's obviously going to be a ton of lessons uh, coming out of, out of this experience that, will, that should lead to policy. Uh, particularly as it relates to healthcare data, which, you know, as, as we've learned over the course of the last two years, having this privacy debate, not all, not all healthcare data is, is protected under HIPAA. And especially now with what is considered healthcare data and what we need, what epidemiologists need in order to, to track this, trace this, and, and pan it down. So I, I do actually think that there will be some lessons come out, coming out of here that will lead to policy with what we do as a country with relevant healthcare data in a time of pandemic in order to, uh, in order to uh, nip it quickly, as opposed to having to deal with what we're dealing with right now, is, which is asking a lot of questions, getting scared about the data, not having uh, you know, proper testing. So you, know, you, combine, you combine the data questions with the testing infrastructure and the resilience that's where we need to go. And that's where I think we will go in, in, in the short term. I, I think those, those when you talk about privacy policy, I actually do think we will be able to have a serious conversation over the course of the next three, six, nine months to a point where we may even be able to pass something uh, in relation to this. Not privacy writ large, but definitely, definitely around healthcare data as it relates to pandemics. Because you're right, Dean, this is going to happen again. It just is. And we and we need to be better prepared next time. Steve, well put. Steve Harrow, Bruce Melman, thank you for joining me on 14th and G. 